the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, in light of these past rejections by the people of Nazareth and those of his own family, I think a reasonable question for us to ask is, why in the world would Jesus come back to his hometown? When they had already rejected him, they tried to throw him off a cliff, and what they meant by that is we wanted to kill him. They wanted him to to fall and, and die. So why would Jesus come back into that kind of environment? It must have been very hard for Jesus to see the unbelief and hard hearted attitudes of the people he had grown up with in Nazareth. Even his own brothers did not believe him. But Jesus knew man's heart condition and that those in his own family needed the forgiveness of sins for which he would eventually pay the awful price. Welcome to Verse by Verse, coming to you from Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Steve Kreloff has been pastor there for over 30 years, and his verse-by-verse teaching style has been used by the Lord to help Christians grow in their faith. We are happy to be able to bring these studies to you over this great radio station and the Internet. Your prayers and financial gifts keep this ministry on the air and reaching many Christians and lost souls as well. You can still get a copy of the book, Timeless Truths from a Faithful Shepherd, when you send an offering of any amount to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. It's our way of expressing our appreciation for those who pray for and give financially to help keep this program on the air. That address again is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Let's get into our class for today. Here is Pastor Steve. Number one, the first characteristic of hardened unbelief is that it rejects the obvious evidence for Christ being king. It rejects the obvious evidence. Starting in verse 53 and 54, we read this. When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. He came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Now, Matthew starts off by telling us that after Jesus gave the last of his seven parables to his disciples, he left Capernaum. But what Matthew doesn't tell us, because as I told you, his gospel account is more topical than sequential, is that after leaving Capernaum, Jesus did a number of significant things before he ever came to Nazareth. We know this because the Gospel of Mark, which is in a um, chronological fashion, tells us that between the time Jesus left Capernaum and the time he arrived in Nazareth, he calmed the sea, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. That's where this fits in. He actually cast out demons from the two men 
on the other side of Galilee, the Gentile side, sent them into a herd of swine who then plunged themselves into the Sea of Galilee and died. And he performed several noteworthy miracles of healings in the Galilee area. And it was after doing all those things that Jesus then came to Nazareth. Now notice that Matthew doesn't even mention the town by name. He simply refers to it as his hometown because this was the village that Jesus grew up in. This was his hometown. As you'll recall, Christ was born where? The city of Bethlehem to the south. Bethlehem is uh, almost like a suburb of Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy because Micah said that's where he would be born. But then his family moved to Nazareth north in the Galilee area when he was an infant. Now, in the earlier chapters of Matthew's gospel, we learn that Joseph and Mary had fled from, they took, they took the infant Jesus and they fled south into Egypt in order to escape from Herod, who wanted to kill the Christ child. But after Herod's death, they returned from Egypt. However, they were warned by God, do not return to the Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Judea area, but go north to a place called Nazareth, where they had actually been from. And so Matthew 2.23 says that they came and lived in a city called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a small, rather insignificant town in Galilee. In fact, it's still rather insignificant, except Jesus lived there. And it's in the northern region of Israel. The Lord lived most of his life in that town. But when he began his ministry at about age 30, he moved out of Nazareth, and he went a little bit north, about 20 miles northeast, to the town of Capernaum, which is located directly on the Sea of Galilee. If you've never been to Israel, let me explain. Galilee is a region in the north, but there is a sea in the midst of it, actually a lake called the Sea of Galilee. Some towns are on that lake, but uh, and Capernaum was one of those towns. It's, it's a village right on that lake. Nazareth was in Galilee. In fact, it still is there. There are two towns, by the way, known as Nazareth today. One is populated by Jewish people. One is populated by Arab people. The town that Jesus was from would be the Arab-populated town of Nazareth. But it's not, even though it's in Galilee, it is not on the water. And so after having been involved in ministry for about a year in and around the area of Capernaum, Matthew tells us that Jesus has now returned to Nazareth where he grew up. And as we've already noted, at the very beginning of his ministry, he went to Nazareth, they tried to murder him. But now it's about a year later, and he's returned as a well-known rabbi with a group of disciples following and learning from him. And the gospel writer Mark is very careful to point this out in Mark 6, 1. He says, and he came into his hometown and his disciples followed him. And because Jesus was a recognized rabbi now, which means he was a teacher, it was very natural for him to be allowed to teach the people in their synagogue when they assembled on Saturdays. And by the way, they didn't only assemble on Saturdays, could have been other days as well. And that's exactly what Matthew tells us took place. Notice what the verse says. He began teaching them in their synagogue. Now, what Jesus specifically taught the people that day, we aren't told. However, we are told of the reaction of the people to Jesus and his teaching. Notice Matthew says they were astonished. Now, what does that mean? 
They were astonished. Well, the word that's used here means essentially they were amazed. You could even say and translate it, they were stunned. How about this word, which I think would be a synonym for it? They were even flabbergasted. That probably catch, captures the thought. They were flabbergasted, stunned. And why were they so flabbergasted? Why were they stunned? Well, they actually tell us why in verse 54. Notice what they said. Where did this man, this fellow, get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? See, as the people of Nazareth sat that day in the synagogue, listening to the most profound wisdom that they had ever heard, and knowing what others had said about Jesus, and maybe some of them have observed it, that he did miracles all around Galilee, they were stunned, and they were amazed. But notice, they were not amazed because of the profundity of his teaching, because of the contents of his words. They were not impressed with that or his many healing miracles. What amazed the people of Nazareth is that they considered him just another member of their small village, a Nazarene just like them. Nobody special, just a local boy who grew up amongst them. So how could he possess such wisdom? How could he have powers to do these supernatural miracles. In other words, they were stunned that someone who they considered so common and so ordinary could have been given such wisdom and power by God to do miracles. Folks, that's what blew them away. And we know this is precisely what they were thinking because they tell us so in verses 55 and 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? Probably meaning his sisters had gotten married and they with their husbands still lived in Nazareth. They said, where then did this man get all these things? After listening to Jesus speak, the people of the town start asking questions amongst themselves, questions that clearly reveal that they, what was really bugging them about Christ. First, they asked a question concerning his training and his qualifications to be able to speak the profound truths that he was speaking. He was opening up the scriptures to them. And they, they didn't understand that. How could he do this? They said, is not this the carpenter's son? It's interesting. In Mark's gospel, we're told that the people also asked, is not this the carpenter? See, the residents of Nazareth had seen Jesus grow up among them. They knew him as a little boy. They saw him grow into manhood. And he had become, as a man, the town's carpenter. Mary's husband, Joseph, who was probably dead by this time because we never read of him during the life, or at least the ministry of Christ, had been the town's carpenter. That's why they said, isn't this the son of the carpenter? But apparently, Joseph had trained Jesus to be a carpenter too, and that was his trade. That was his profession until he began his ministry at about age 30. But the people of Nazareth still saw him as just a carpenter, a common, ordinary craftsman, someone who built their their homes, someone who built furniture, someone who even built their wooden yokes that they used in farming. And now he's come back to Nazareth. The carpenter has returned, but he's trying to pass himself off as a learned rabbi with insight to explain to us the prophetic scriptures And now he has a reputation for doing incredible miracles. And the people's reaction is, who does he think he is? 
Who does he think he is to speak to us this way about the the Scriptures? He's just an ordinary laborer like the rest of us, just a carpenter's son. And what does a carpenter know about interpreting the prophetic Scriptures and performing miracles? See, that's their attitude. The problem that the people had with Jesus is that they knew that he had received no formal education and training as a rabbi. He was just a carpenter. So where did all this deep wisdom and power to do miracles come from? In fact, they were not the only ones to ask this question. If you'll keep your place here and look at John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the Lord's enemies ask him, the religious leaders ask him in Jerusalem, or at least they ask amongst themselves the same, the same thing. John chapter 7, notice verse 14. When it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. So he's in Jerusalem, and he's teaching at the temple. And the Jews, whenever John says the Jews, he means the Jewish religious leaders, not the common population. So the religious leaders then were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? They, they didn't mean that Jesus hadn't been to school. He probably was taught at, at home and probably received, in fact, he would have received the same um, religious education that all Jewish males have. But, but what they're saying is he had never been to a formal rabbinical school. He had never sat under a rabbi and been tutored by him. He never received that training. He's just a carpenter. And that's what bothered the people. His lack of formal rabbinical education, but he's teaching us? Just a carpenter. He knows how to work with his hands. He's not a scholar. They're also stunned because Jesus could speak with such amazing wisdom and do such remarkable miracles, even though he came from a rather ordinary family in Nazareth. That's why after mentioning his trade as a carpenter, they proceeded to speak of the members of his immediate family. Notice they said, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? As I mentioned, the sisters probably had gotten married and they still lived with their husbands in Nazareth. Where did this man get all these things? In other words, they're saying he's just a simple villager. Like us, no better than us. We know his mom. We know his brothers. Even his sisters, they still live here in Nazareth. So who does he think he is? Passing himself off as somebody special. Now, let me just stop here for a moment and explain something. We should understand that Jesus didn't become special at age 30 when he began his ministry. He was always the sinless son of God. While growing up in Nazareth, he was perfect in every way. But as one Bible teacher put it, his perfection was clearly not the sort that called attention to itself or set him apart as strange or peculiar. But the Lord was always perfect. The Lord was always the Lord, even though they thought that he was just a simple carpenter. And contrary to many bizarre and fictitious stories that have arisen about Jesus over the years, he didn't do strange miracles as a child. You read that in in a lot of non-biblical literature. If he had done miracles as a child, they would have recognized that. The fact that they said he's just a carpenter means he lived a normal life amongst them. Just led a normal life as a carpenter in the town of Nazareth. And that's exactly how the people that he grew up with viewed him. They did not see, there was nothing, as Isaiah 53 said, nothing attractive about him that they would say, this is our king. 
just looked like an ordinary Jewish man in an ordinary Jewish family doing a very ordinary task of being a carpenter. Now think about this incredible scene in Nazareth. Imagine, imagine what's going on here. Jesus has come back to the synagogue that he grew up in. Profound spiritual truths are flowing out of his mouth, such as the people of Nazareth had never heard before. Others have testified of amazing miracles that he's been doing for about a year. No one else in Israel had ever done that. And all that the people of Nazareth have to say is, who does he think he is? Just a plain old carpenter, that's all. Nobody, just an ordinary member of an ordinary family from a very ordinary town. Now, talk about missing the point. Talk about being blind and hardened to the truth. Talk about rejecting the obvious. Think about the absurdity of of their response, and it'll tell you a great deal about how unbelief thinks and acts. Remember, Christ's words and his miracles were designed by God to prove that he was the Messiah and he was the king. That was always the intention of God. In fact, let's go back to that John chapter 7 passage, and let me show you this. You want to keep in mind, Jesus was doing exactly what the people needed to observe and hear miracles and his teaching. In John chapter 7, the Jewish leader saying, how has this man become learned having never been educated? Verse 15, verse 16 said, so Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he'll know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak for myself. What he's saying is, if somebody is really open to the truth, they'll recognize that this is, these are not just the words of a mere human. They'll recognize these are the words of deity. These are divine words. So his teaching was intended to reveal that he was deity. Secondly, his miracles. Jesus said in John 5.36, the very works that I do testify of me that the Father has sent me. His very miracles proved it because the prophetic scripture said that the Messiah would come doing miracles. And then listen to this in John chapter 10, starting at verse 37, Jesus said, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. What he's saying is if, if the, my teaching doesn't catch you, let my works be the evidence. If you can't get it by my verbal teaching, which they should have gotten it, at least recognize that these miracles, these works, come from God. But they didn't. In fact, you know who got it right? The man who came to Jesus, he sort of got it right. The man who came to Jesus at night, Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, we read about a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, one of the leading religious figures in Jerusalem. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Israel, religious ruling council. And he said to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 2, listen to this. He said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus understood that Jesus Christ's miracles and his teachings proved that he was from God. And I said Nicodemus sort of got it right. He understood somewhat, except he didn't realize that Jesus was not a teacher who came from God. Jesus was God who came to teach. But at least Nicodemus understood that 
his content, what he had to say in his miracles pointed to him as Messiah and King. So the clear evidence that God had provided for the people of Israel to recognize their king when he arrived were his teachings and his miracles. But instead of receiving this evidence, this is the absurdity, and this is the way unbelief acts. All that the people of Nazareth focused on were irrelevant questions, like how could this hometown boy teach like this and have this kind of power? What difference does that make, what his hometown was? They could have easily read, and they certainly knew, should have known from Micah chapter 5, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, should have known that, that he had to be born amongst someone in Israel. They could have asked Joseph and Mary, and they probably would have known he came from Bethlehem. I mean, what kind of a question is that? How could this hometown boy teach us like, like this? The Lord had to be born in some family in Israel. See, in their hardness of heart, they didn't even recognize the clear evidence for him being the Messiah. All they did is think of him as simply a carpenter from a very common family in their town. Folks, what they did is, the, the thought here is they just focused on irrelevant issues, non-important issues, instead of the facts, like the content of what Christ was teaching. That's what they should have focused on. Is this true? His miracles, who else could do these miracles but, but deity? And as Jewish people, they were all aware of the prophetic scriptures. They knew that, that they could recognize their Messiah by, by his miracles and his teachings. This shouldn't have taken them by surprise. But what does this tell us about hearts when they're hardened towards the gospel? It tells us that in order to justify unbelief, hardened sinners will come up with all kinds of irrelevant reasons for not believing in Jesus, such as there are too many hypocrites in the church. That's why I'm not a Christian. Or I don't like that pastor. He preaches too long. Now, that wouldn't be the case with anybody here. I know that, but some might say that. Or that Christian wasn't friendly to me. Or that Christian once came on too strong in witnessing and told me I was going to go to hell if I didn't accept Christ. Listen, if somebody starts giving you those kinds of reasons for not believing in Jesus, understand that they're excuses. And understand that the reasons for, for what they're doing, they are smokescreens. Smokescreens to divert attention away from the real issue. And what is the real issue? It's Jesus Christ himself. And that's what you have to do in a witnessing situation. Don't let them take you down all of those rabbit trails. It doesn't matter if there are hypocrites in the church. It doesn't matter if they don't like the pastor. It doesn't matter. What matters is Christ himself. So what you need to do, and someone starts talking like that, bring the conversation back to Christ. What do you think of Jesus Christ? They probably hadn't even thought about him. How do you explain his perfect life? How do you explain his profound teaching? How do you explain his supernatural miracles? How do you explain the resurrection? How do you explain that men died because they knew he was risen from the dead. How do you explain all of these things? How do you explain lives being changed by Christ? Folks, that's the real issue. It's Jesus himself. Don't let people take you down all those trails that are irrelevant. But the foolish people of Nazareth chose to reject the obvious evidence for him being king. I think it's just absurd. Nobody said, now, let's see if what he's saying is true. Let's search the scriptures. Or how else would you explain his miracles? But they didn't do that because they're hardened unbelievers. They didn't want to believe in him, so they chose to ignore the truth about him by speaking nonsense about him being a carpenter from their town. Isaiah 53 already said that there would be nobody impressed by how he looked physically. 
So they should have known this. It's very normal and natural for him to be just a carpenter, a common, ordinary-looking person who happened to be God in their midst. So the first characteristic of hardened unbelief is that it rejects the obvious evidence for Christ being king. So when you're witnessing, you bring that evidence into the light. In our next class, we'll look at a second characteristic of hardened unbelief. It is the basic cause of all unbelief and one that creeps in unawares. We have one more study on this topic of the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth. I hope you can be along with the rest of the class to learn from Pastor Steve's teaching. You can listen to this study again by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. You may stream it or download it for future listening and reference. There are many other messages available to you free of charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. You may also call us at 727-239-0306 if you have any questions. Ask about the free book offer when you call. This is a 207-page paperback book, which contains some of the best of Pastor Steve's messages over the past 30 years of his ministry. It's a great spiritual resource. Lakeside Community Chapel is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. That's about halfway between Highway 19 and the beaches. If you are ever in the area, drop in and greet Pastor Steve. He would love to meet you. If you are looking for a church home, make it a point to visit the church. You can call the church office at 727 727- Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.